Welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley Show here on My Talk 1071, streaming live and doing everything entertainment at MyTalk1071.com. Colleen Lindster and Bradley Trainer. So, in the first hour of the show today, we held another My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion where we brought together, uh, a, well, a person in this case, Dr. Emily Brunner from the Hazelden Betty Ford Clinic to talk about addiction because addiction has been in the headlines. Let's just be honest. We all started talking about this on our station anyway uh, recently mm-hmm. because of the death of Prince. Now, we don't know you know, exactly what led to Prince's death, but part of his death has uh, what it has done is spawned a discussion about uh, medication addiction, opioids in particular. We wanted to know what that meant. We got a lot of questions from you guys and a lot of personal stories. So what we're going to do for the next hour is go ahead and open the phone lines and ask you, or as long as it takes, really, like hey, if yeah. nobody calls, fine, we'll just go on and talk about Kim Kardashian's butt. But, but I, I think, think this is slightly more important. It's certainly more important to yeah. be sure, but it's definitely, it's also something that uh, based on your questions, we know a lot of you are dealing with and you have your own personal stories of opioid addiction or you know somebody who is struggling with that and we're just curious to hear how it has impacted your life based on the the different challenges you heard from dr brunner um you know what what does it actually sound like or look like in the context of your actual day-to-day life you can give us a call at 651-641-1071. You can certainly email the show by heading to our website, mytalk1071.com. And Colleen and I are both on Twitter, <laughs> at Bradley Trainer and at MyTalkColleen. So we are uh, furiously going through uh, you know, all of your questions, and we'll certainly share your stories. Again, you if you have questions, great, but it's just going to be us hanging out and listening to you tell us uh, how this has impacted and affected your own life. So I think that we do have somebody on the phone right now. Um, and we're going to be talking with Kelly, I believe. Is oh, Kelly okay. on the phone? Yeah, it looks like she just called. Wonderful. In. Great. So now Kelly, uh, from oh, what I've gathered, is she, this is something, Kelly, that you are dealing with or have dealt with in your own life. Yes, I've struggled with uh, opiate addiction um, for almost 10 years and I'm currently in uh, treatment right now and I'm four months sober in two days actually. Well, congratulations, congratulations is the first is the first acknowledgement there. That's an amazing accomplishment, Kelly. Can you take Thank us you. can you take us back as best as you're able to to when this all started and how it all started? Um, I guess I just went through a lot of um, trauma, I guess, in my life, some small, some big. I dealt with a lot of death and um, a lot of upbringing issues um, where I just kind of resorted to um, opiates to kind of dull the pain and kind of shove shove all the feelings and and thoughts and stuff um, down deep so I didn't have to deal with it. Um, And then, you know, with opiates, it's just it's a horrible, horrible thing because once you do them for any amount of time, you know, it it becomes a necessity where you have to literally um, continue to feed your addiction, or else you'll get you'll get severely sick. So basically, I was just chasing away that feeling for you know for years and years and years on a daily basis. How long did it take you to realize after you had started, um, you know, uh, whether it was abusing or using uh, these medications or opiates? Um, how long did it take you to realize you had a problem with it? 
Um, I guess I was in denial with, about it for a long time. Deep down, I knew that I had a problem pretty, pretty, pretty much at the beginning. You know, um, within within a month or so, I, it become a, it became a huge problem. But I was I was in denial for such a long time, and I thought I was like a functioning functioning addict. Um, you know, I still went to work. I still took care of my daughter. I paid my bills. And so I, I believe that I was a functioning addict. So I didn't think that I was like the percentage of the population that were actually seeking help and needing help and things like that. And so it actually took years. And then um, I went to a treatment two years ago um, and I wasn't really all in. And so then I went to treatment. Um, this is January, and this time I was more focused and, and I really, really wanted it because my life literally had become completely unmanageable. Um, it was and, just a, a constant, constant daily struggle. So. And if you, if you guys are just joining us, you're listening to Colleen and Bradley. We're speaking with Kelly, and Kelly has been struggling with an opiate addiction, and actually she's now uh, four-plus months sober, and uh, we're just kind of getting uh, you know, her sort of understanding of what this is all like. And we're so thankful, Kelly, uh, to you for calling in and sharing your story. Uh, my question is about how recovery looks for you, because we be, we've been hearing a lot. In the last hour, we talked with uh, a doctor who who talked a little bit about some of the medications that they use with with people who are coming out of an opiate addiction. Can you can you address that at all? Yeah, actually, um, I had attempted in the past to get off opiates, and I went to a Suboxone doctor. And um, tell people what Suboxone is. Suboxone, um, you take it daily. It has an opioid in it, but it also has an anti. Um, abuse kind of agent in it where if you take an opiate, you're not able to feel the effects of the opiate, mm-hmm. but you have to you have to take it daily. It blocks the opiate receptors in your brain. So if you were to take an opiate, you wouldn't feel it, but then um, you risk the chance of people continuously, you know, taking more and more and more trying to achieve that high, which becomes oh. dangerous because then they can overdose without actually ever feeling sure. high. Um, also, there's a high potential for abusing that, um, and that's exactly what I did. And so now... Um, I went to. I had to, gone to residential treatment for five weeks, and I went to a three quarter house. And then, when I got to the three quarter house, um, I was put on a shot called uh, Vivitrol, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of works like Suboxone, where it blocks the opiate receptors in your brain, um, but it lasts for, it lasts for thirty days. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, you also need to. Uh, have, you know, treatment, some sort of treatment in place, counseling, you have to meet regularly with your physician, things like that. Um, but it works great. It, it's an anti-craving medication as well. So uh, it's been working great for me. You know, what's interesting is, you know, the way you, I, I think a lot of people who don't uh, or haven't deal, dealt with addiction in their life or their families or, you know, close in the mirror is that, you know, a lot of people think, well, just stop taking it. Don't take it in the first place. You know, stop making bad choices. And, you know, what you've learned, I would imagine, over the last, uh, well, ever since you, you first had treatment is there are so many different aspects of your life that this has uh, changed or that this has affected that it is it, it is probably you're still figuring that out, right? Even after four plus months. Yes, absolutely. And so for you, what do you like what to you on a daily basis is the hardest thing to deal with uh, in recovering from this opiate addiction? I guess um, one of the hardest things is just, you know, now that I'm sober, I don't have any other choice but to deal with um, my past and deal with the emotions that come along with it and just finding ways to to cope and and learning new techniques and things like that to, um, you know, just 
function and make it through daily life and feel those emotions and find a way to to accept them and move on. Um, that's, that's the hard part because I, I stopped so much for so many years. Um, you know, a lot comes up, but, but I have a great, great counselor, I have a great therapist, and I have a great uh, group of women that around me that really supports me, and that's the most important thing, I think. Well, Kelly, uh, I want you to know that at my talk, we want to give you a great big hug and, and encourage you to continue to make all the great choices uh, that you've made thus far to get you to four-plus months of sobriety. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you for calling and sharing your story with us. Yes, you're welcome. All right. If you're just joining us, Colleen and Bradley here on My Talk 1071. We're extending the conversation from our My Talk 1071 roundtable, Addiction in the Headlines. We just talked to Kelly, who has dealt with an opioid addiction. We've got a couple callers on the phone. Feel free to give us a jingle and share your own personal experience with opiate addiction or opioid addiction. Colleen, I'm just going to get those wrong every time we mention it. Well, you know, I think we talked a little bit about how how you how and why it's okay to kind of use those interchangeably interchangeably, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, 651-641-1071. Drop us an email or we're both on Twitter. Let's go to the phone lines and we'll start with Shannon, who's been patiently waiting. Shannon, what did you want to share with us today? Hey, Shannon. Hi. Thanks for calling. What would you like to share with us? I just wanted to call in because I appreciate so much you talking about this and hearing from the um, Hazleton Betty Ford Foundation. Um, I have a son that's 28 years old in recovery and he recently um, was there and he's got 72 days clean. Awesome. And as a mom, it's it's probably the most um, difficult thing I've ever gone through. Sure. Um, and I grew up in an alcoholic home, so I understand addiction. And I really, um, it was very difficult to watch him go through this. And in the end, he wanted help. He's the one that came and asked for help. And um, I'm so proud of him. But I just want people out there to understand that it is truly an addiction. Um, you watch somebody suffer with that, and all they're thinking about is their next fix and and their crazy life. And, and he um, wanted it so badly, and it affects everyone in that household, in that family, when that happens to people. Um, I think people with addictions are some of the most loving wonderful people I've ever met in my life and um, they've got a big void there and there's a big hole and they're trying to figure out what it is that drives them to do that and I just want people to understand that out there and again I'm very proud of him he's doing many things that Kelly talked about Um, I listened to her and it sounds a lot like his story and um, I just want people to understand that well, thank you so thank much you. for for taking the time to share that with us, Shannon, and give him uh, our best. Yeah, and congratulate him for for uh, the work he's doing. I, I will. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Let's go uh, to another caller. We've got Kathleen on the phone. Kathleen, thank you for calling us today. What would you like to share with us? I wanted to let you. My name is Kathleen, and I did a research project for my master's thesis on the long term health effects from child sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and and one of the research studies I had discovered was 75% of people in, in substance abuse program have been sexually abused as children. Okay. And if you don't learn how to find help with that, if you don't find help with that, mm-hmm. then you will continue to find, find out ways to numb yourself. I've been in recovery for 30 years this year from oh, wow. drugs and alcohol. Congratulations. And 
having a horrible, horrible childhood where I felt worthless, among other things, and child sexual abuse, that was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Every day I have to make a decision that I need to work on myself and find value and worth instead of racing into, into the numb and the rage. Oh, for sure. You know what, Kathleen, thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations on 30 years. That's amazing. And thanks for sharing that with us. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, the doctor, uh, Dr. Brunner talked a little bit about this, and I know it gets people um, sort of up in arms who don't perhaps understand addiction from a firsthand or a secondhand perspective. You know, it is like having another medical condition, an underlying chronic condition that that you have. There are some behavioral components, Mm -hmm. meaning it's not all like if you do this, you'll be fine. Uh, And if you don't do this, you're going to be miserable. But it is that there are certain things you must do to take care of yourself, as Kathleen just alluded to, in order to maintain um, you know, the, the healing process from that chronic condition, whether it's alcoholism uh, or type 2 diabetes or a number of other chronic conditions people suffer from. And I think one of the most massive misconceptions about addiction is uh, there, there, are, there are people who believe that it has to do with willpower. Oh, and that's sure. not it. It's a yeah. physiological, uh, you know, medical thing yeah and so to um to distill it down to that is it, it, if it were willpower sim- simplifies I, I trust you you know sit down with a room full of um you know recovering addicts and alcoholics and these are people that have some of the strongest willpower yeah. in the world mm-hmm. and you know their stories will convince you of that in no time flat uh if it were only a matter of willpower um you know people who didn't have addictions would be addicted right 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 um let's go to a break and a, then we'll oh, get yeah, to the my some God, phone calls. i'm just so up okay. i'm all excited about these calls <laughs> Well, we'll get to them. We'll continue to take your calls when we come back. Colleen and Bradley talking about addiction in the headlines and your stories when we come back right here on My Talk 1071. Welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley show here on My Talk 1071. We're streaming live and doing everything entertainment at MyTalk1071.com. Colleen Lindstrom, I'm Bradley Trainer. We're continuing sort of the post My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion wrap up. Our topic was addiction in the headlines, and we welcomed Dr. Emily Brunner from the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation to talk about, uh, you know, all of the just issues around opioid addiction. And uh, we've now opened the phone lines to hear from you because during the uh, Q&A portion of our roundtable, it became clear that there are a lot of you out there struggling in, in your own families and in your own lives with opioid addiction. And we thought we would just open the phone lines to have you share with us how it's affected, how this very timely issue has also been affecting your day-to-day life. So let's start uh, with another phone call. We've got Rachel, who's been on the line, patiently holding. Hey, Rachel. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for calling. Hey, I just had a couple things to say about the people that are saying, you know, just stop it. Um, It's very much in the genes. And I was raised in a very conservative Christian home. My dad fell into alcohol. Um, We all struggled with that. And me, being a stupid idiot, um, tried some stuff when I was a little older, and I fell right into it. Um, I think that some people are much more prone to it. And when I did go to treatment, they told me, you carried that gene when you were in the crib. Mm. And trying it was your mistake. Mm. So if you carry that gene, stay away from chemicals. 
because it's going to affect you differently. And now I have kids and I'm so open to them about, because they're teenagers, about the dangers of them falling into it. It is a calming, therapeutic, best thing ever feeling. And so once you get past the, okay, so I'm, I'm in recovery now three years. Congrats. But at first I was sick. I was physically sick without the chemical. And then once you get past that, then it's a mind game for the rest of your life because you always remember that feeling. Now, it gets better with time, I've been told, and I will say that after three years, it is better. But it's always in the back of your mind, you know, and I could relapse today. Anybody could, and it's going to be a constant struggle. But being there for those people and loving them and helping them come up with, you know, coping mechanisms is really what we need. Um, and yes, there are addicts I know in my life that I'm just so frustrated with. I want to shake and I'm, I want them to get it today. I want you to get this. Why can't you get this? Um, so yeah. That's normal, too. But it is a disease and it's very genetical and each person is different. You're absolutely right, Rachel. And first of all, congrats to you. And thank you for sharing that story with us. Um, and thanks, thanks, thanks for calling, Rachel. The, Thank the, you. the thing I wanted to bring up, too, uh, that a lot of people don't think about is that even if, okay, so for example, I uh, have an addiction to alcohol, so I haven't uh, had alcohol for the last 13 years. There is also, um, you know, so I, I can kind of tell, like, maybe I should be very careful when a doctor prescribes a certain medication, I will, you know, tell the doctor, you know, I'm in recovery from alcohol. So when prescribing medication, please keep that in mind. And, mm -hmm. you know, my doctors and dentists will have that conversation with me when they need to prescribe something like we talked about in the last hour. I had a root canal. I was prescribed something. Um, and I and, and he said, don't use this if you don't have to. But if you do uh, use it until it's not necessary then throw it away. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of times, I think, that people think if you an, have an addictive personality, you shouldn't take anything. And I think that's why this conversation is so important for people to have with their, you know, their doctor. Um, because there are times when you do need to take things, right? When um, pain is real. Yeah. yeah. So there are other conditions in my life that I have to address medically and deal with a prescription. And um, as long as you're having the conversation and as long as it's, you know, something that you can manage uh, and you're being honest about it, I, I, I just get worried sometimes that people avoid everything because they are afraid of becoming addicted when mm -hmm. they could be, you know, almost encouraging themselves to to end up becoming addicted to something because they've deprived themselves of a necessary medical treatment. Sure. Does that make sense? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's See, these are the things you don't even think about. Well, and this is what I mean when we were, you know, when you start to scratch the surface of a, of a topic like this, um, you may, from a distance, think, okay, well, we're just going to get our questions answered. And as you start to go down the road, you realize frequently that there are more questions than you have answers to. Oh, absolutely. And that's where we find ourselves um, when we're having this conversation. And I will say say that um, that watching sort of the the unraveling or the little dribs and drabs that have come out since the death of Prince mm. about what kind of um, what, what his life may have looked like toward the end. I've also been paying attention to people's conceptions of misconceptions about what that meant. 
and and how it sort of changed their opinion of him. And I thought, wait a second. No, no, no. He's still the same person. He was still the same person all along. There was something going on with him. Well, what's interesting is you saw these stories about, ooh, opioid addiction, ooh, pills, ooh, um, Prince was taking these things, and then, and then suddenly he was a partier in a drug den. Well, but <laughs> but not even that. But then you saw a whole reaction to what Prince did is none of your business. Mm-hmm. That you should be ashamed of even contemplating something like this. And my thought is, no, you're both both of those sides of the coin are still stigma around mm-hmm. addiction. They're both reacting to that stigma, and it's. You know, it's unfortunate because what they're missing is an actual conversation that you can have about what causes it, mm-hmm. how to deal with it, mm-hmm. and, and what that, that it's a non-judgmental thing. We're all here. Welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley Show here on My Talk 1071, streaming live and doing everything entertainment at MyTalk1071.com. It is our post-My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion, Addiction. In the headlines, we chatted with a doctor in the first hour. Now, we've opened the phone lines to you to share your personal stories dealing with opioid addiction, whether in your family or in your own life. We've listened to a number of your calls. And Colleen, I know we've gotten a number of emails as well. Yeah, and we're certainly open to getting more emails. So if you are uh, at at a place where you feel like you can't call, just go ahead and go to our website at mytalk1071.com. Go to the Colleen and Bradley show page, and it's easiest to email us from there. But we did get this email uh, from Callie. She says, I have a different story about opioid addiction. I personally have not struggled with addiction myself, but my older brother has struggled with opioid addiction his whole life and is currently in uh in in recovery for the second time or in rehab for the second time she said i think people need to know how badly this addiction affects not only the person using but the family life i recently went to the family program uh and it it, in that we talked about how much similarity addiction has to the user and the addict in the program we compared the addict's symptoms uh, they had while they were using and the family symptoms when their loved one was using. And the symptom list was just about as much as the addict's list. Addiction does not affect only the user, but the whole entire family. She says, I'm 18 years old and uh, I have been struggling with addiction in my family life for five years. Addiction is one of the hardest things a person can go through. And I wish everyone luck in their process. It takes a lifetime for recovery. Uh, And who is that from? Callie. Callie, thank you for that email because that is, it's huge to point out how just broad the uh, effect of an alcohol uh, or drug addiction in a family can be. Let's go to uh, Sherry. Sherry has been waiting on the phone to share her story with us. Hey, Sherry, what did you want to share with us today? Well, actually, my call is perfect timed for this because both of my children um, I adopted uh, from foster care, and they're both fetal alcohol. Mm-hmm. They both have the genetic factor for being addicts. Mm-hmm. Um. But And my daughter currently is in recovery. Um, she does have her stumbles here and there, but she's, she's moved, doing her best to move forward. But one of the biggest things that we did learn while she went through her um, treatment program is it is a family issue. Mm-hmm. Um, just like cancer, if somebody were to have cancer, the family just doesn't turn away from them and say, you know, go deal with it on your own. Everybody reacts um, and becomes supportive within you know, you have cancer, you go to the doctor, you get treatment, you take care of yourself, same kind of issues. And the thing that we learned most importantly was that an addict will uh, be successful with family support. 
an addict will also relapse because of family. Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, when they say it's a family disease, that's not just some sort of hyperbolic statement. I mean, it really is incumbent upon, you know, at some point, if a person is in a family and it's not just, you know, a person uh, out on their own and how many of those people are there really for everybody to address that issue because if they don't, I mean, and and that's really with like any major struggle somebody is dealing with, you pointed out cancer, but think about whether it's cancer or weight loss or another form of addiction. If, if not, one person can change their behavior, but if they're a part of a, a larger family, that family has to deal with it as well. 100%. And the problem with what happens with addiction so many times is that not only does the addict feel so much shame because of their use, um, but that, that they isolate themselves from their family. Unfortunately, my son, who is currently incarcerated, has done that for the last five or six years. And now we're, I'm working with him to get him into a program and saying, you know, if you want to move your life forward and have the life that you want, I'm there 100% for you. Yep. And that's what needs to happen is, you know, just because somebody's an addict doesn't mean, number one, you accept it, but number two, it is a disease. Mm-hmm. And... And it, it really does, I think, it makes things easier uh, to put into perspective. Like, oh, okay, if I'm going to treat this like a disease, I'm going to treat this person as if I would. It doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, it's it's complicated, right? It doesn't mean you're going to do yeah. whatever they ask you to do. It doesn't mean you're not going to um, create boundaries. Yeah, you're not going to support the addiction. You're going to create barriers and boundaries to protect yourself. Um, but it, it, but it certainly helps to put it into perspective on how to get through, you know, day to day, I would imagine. Right. I mean, if you knew, if you knew somebody was having, for example, like you said, a weight loss issue, you don't buy them pizzas. If somebody's yeah. having cancer of the lungs, you don't buy them a pack of cigarettes. Sure. Yeah. You know, exactly. I mean, this is the same thing. Thank you so much, Sherry, Thank for you, calling Sherry. and sharing that with us and good luck with uh, both your son and daughter. Thank you very much. Uh, if you guys are just joining us, we're we're chatting with you, uh, really, who've had lots to say following our My Talk Roundtable discussion. Colleen, I know uh, we've gotten some more emails. Do Should we read an email or do we um, want to go back to the phones? Let's go back to the phones. All right. If we've got, if we, if we've got somebody available. Yeah, of course. We've got a number of people uh, on the line. We've got Megan. Megan has been patiently waiting to share something with us. Hey, Megan, thanks for calling. What did you want to share with us today? Hi, guys. Um... Uh, so I've been in recovery on and off since uh, 2008. Congrats. I went for treatment the first time and uh, was successful for almost three years. And I had some dental work done. And it's amazing how something as simple as a root canal, you know, kind of set me back, you know, into active addiction. Um, by the grace of God, I've been, it'll be five years in uh, in July that I've been seen. I went through I hated and when I relapsed I said, Okay, I really need help. Um, you know, I had at the time I had two young children. Um, and I did. I went through treatment. I I got, got back into recovery, went to meetings, got a sponsor and now I, I go so far as to speak at Hazelden to kind of share my experience, strength and hope. Um, but it is it's a family disease and, and the unintentional victim, at least from my my story, children. Yeah, you know, I, I have two children that that lost their mom for for a number of years, and and, and I, you know, I, unfortunately, I'm still at a point now, five years later, where I'm still working to regain their trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so so quick, you know, for for me, for my story, 
Um, it started with a pain clinic. You know, I had I had chronic back issues, and I went to a pain clinic. And originally, it was taking the medication as prescribed, and just like um, when you had your round table, you were kind of talking about, you know, you start using it as prescribed, and and there's something when you have an addictive uh, personality like I have, where the, the it's like the light switch turns from from taking the medication as prescribed to abusing the medication and and you know, going to any lengths to get those medications. And and it's really scary. You know, I, I look back and by the grace of God, you know, I apply your scheme. And, and it is true. It is one day at a time. Sometimes it's one second at a time. Um, but it is, it, it's an issue that I will deal with for the rest of my life. Um, because if I don't keep my recovery front and center, you know, above anything else, above my family, above my job, above everything, Without my sobriety, I have absolutely nothing. I will lose everything if I if I don't meet my recovery paramount and number one in my life. It is. It's really humbling, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and it, you know, it's funny because you know, I mean, I'm a I'm a highly educated woman. I have a law degree, and and to to see just how quickly and what what a catastrophic effect my youth had on my personal life, you know, on my professional life, it's, you know, it, it, it truly is humbling, you mm-hmm. know, to, to know what can happen. And, but then to flip it and say, you know, what amazing and wonderful things can come from recovery. You know, in those five years that I've been clean, you know, I, I've remarried. I have a full-time job with God for I benefit. You know what I mean? It, sure. It's just, I have, I have two more children, you know, so... I, I rebuilt a life for myself, and, and none of that would be possible if I didn't have the help of Hazelden and didn't have my recovery as the most important thing in my life. Hey, Megan, can I ask you a question? Just like, you know, um, because you, you know, are speaking so uh, eloquently and you are dealing with the issue that we talked about in the first hour, and that's, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a medication addiction. How do you deal now? Like, so for me, you know, uh, my drug of choice was alcohol. I am still Mm -hmm. concerned and realize that I could become addicted to anything, but uh, medication included. But specifically for somebody who's already dealt with an addiction to a medication, when you do go to the doctor or when you do have a medical emergency, like how how has that changed your communication with your doctor? What does that look like when, when you're in pain for something? So uh, I'll give an example. I had surgery in February of last year and ended up in the hospital. And, and the first discussion I had with any of my providers, first and foremost, I say, hey, I'm an addict. I'm in recovery. You know, you need to understand and, and kind of look at me through that lens. Um, but when I did have surgery and I was, you know, very clear with my, with my providers, God bless my husband because I said to him, I said, listen, I don't want these anywhere near me, and I know that I need them to get through recovering from this surgical procedure, but I need you to help me out here, and I need you to be my gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. So if I need to take a medication, so he took a week off of work to take care of me while I recovered, and was very religious about, you know, checking in with me every four to six hours, and are you okay, and are you in pain enough that you need medication? And, and can we have this discussion of, you know, what pain level are you at? And, and I said at the end when there, was, there were medications left over, we brought them back to the pharmacy and we had them destroyed because 
if, if, those, if they're in my house, it, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, a moth to a flame. It's just, it's too dangerous for me to have those types of medications laying out readily available in my house. And that's yeah. what I do to maintain my sobriety. Now, what, what other people do, I, I don't know. It's kind of got to be whatever works for you. Yeah. But for me, what works is what worked was having my husband be the gatekeeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Megan, and best Thanks, of luck to Megan. you. Thank you so much. I'm really glad, um, Megan, thank you again, that, that Megan um, mentioned the idea of bringing her meds back to the pharmacy for them to dispose of them, because I think sometimes people here throw it away, and they think the only option is to throw it in the garbage or you know to flush it down the toilet or whatever. There are places where you can, um, where they will disp- dispose of them properly, and then it would be out of your out of your possession. Yeah, so you just don't have to, you know, worry about something yeah. being in your house. Uh, if you're just joining us, Colleen and Bradley here on My Talk 1071, we are following up. We're doing a wrap up to our My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion, addiction and the headlines. We spoke with a, uh, a medical doctor, somebody from the Hazelden Betty Ford Clinic in the first hour. Then we open the phone lines to you to share your stories with us. We're going to continue to do that for the rest of this hour on the Colleen and Bradley show, which means you can pick up the phone and call. Call uh, 651-641-1071. You can send us an email or uh, catch us on the Twitters at MyTalkColleen or at Bradley Trainer. We'll be right back with more of your stories right here on MyTalk1071. So let's start right now. Welcome back to the Colleen and Bradley Show here on My Talk 1071, streaming live and doing everything entertainment at MyTalk1071.com. Colleen Lindstrom, I'm Bradley Trainer, and we're following up, continuing our conversation after our My Talk 1071 roundtable discussion, Addiction in the Headlines. We spoke with a doctor, Dr. Emily Brunner from the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation, about uh addiction in the headlines essentially since the news that prince uh died unexpectedly there's been all sorts of discussion around opioid addiction and uh what that means for people on a day-to-day basis we you know uncovered as much as we could about the issue itself and then in the last hour we've opened the phone lines and asked you to weigh in and share your personal stories with us about how your life has been affected by opiate addiction of any kind and and really just anything else you want to share with us. 651-641-1071. We've got a number of people on the phone, so perhaps we should get back to them. Let's go to Judy right now has been uh, patiently waiting for us. Hey, Judy, thanks for uh, calling. What, what did you want to share with us today? Um, I'm the adult child of um, alcoholics, and so I knew I was predisposed to some type of addiction, and so I was very, very careful with alcohol. I really liked the taste of it, therefore I left it alone. Mm. And um, I had a surgery, and I couldn't believe how good the pain pills made me feel. Oh, sure. Long after I needed them. And I finally was talking with my doctor, and she said, we're not prescribing anymore because I think you have a problem. Mm. Well, I sought some help, and with my husband and my family, I was able to, to get my mind wrapped around that and get myself into recovery. Well, not thinking that, you know, there are so many other addictions out there, I became hopelessly addicted to gambling. Uh. My husband died um, when I was 56, and by the time I had my 60th birthday, I had lost my home, pretty much lost respect and love of anybody in my immediate circle. I was taking money under false pretenses. I was literally stealing money to gamble. And finally, my two dear, brave children held an intervention on their own. They 
didn't feel they could afford a professional, so they did it on their own with some friends. And I ended up in a treatment center in Granite Falls. And in this center, I was able to finally understand this addictive personality and finally understand I wasn't the only one hurting. Mm-hmm. I was hurting everyone else and was able to, to find myself in recovery. But I'm at a point now that if it's something as simple as a chocolate eclair, if I'm not really hungry and I don't need it, I'm not going to have it because there's so many more addictions waiting. The opiate was probably the easiest to overcome because people understood that one. But some of the others, people aren't as understanding about, and I have, you know, I'm now going to be 70 in the fall, and I have lost a huge circle of friends over this. I have lost respect of so many people. I have lost, my children still love me. They always will. They're there for me. But there's always a little question mm-hmm. if I ask a favor of them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's n- people who are not addicts have no, I don't think, even though they help us, they do. We wouldn't get through this without our friends and family. They just don't understand the hold that that addiction can have on you. I recently had some dental work done, and I had five days of absolute pain where I wanted to scream, but I wouldn't take an opiate because I didn't want to be right back where I was. Mm -hmm. And I think one of these would just lead into the other. And it takes a long time to call back, but I'm doing that. I'm beginning to have some self-respect again. I'm beginning to feel like I'm not the world's biggest loser, which as an addict we tend to feel, because that gets us sympathy when everybody says, oh, you're not a loser. We just need to work on this. So I just urge people, if you even have a tiny, tiny thought that maybe there's an addictive gene in your body, get some help before it becomes a real problem. Yeah, you know, uh, first of all, Judy, obvious, you know, the obvious statement from both of us is to say congratulations and we wish you all the best and hope, Thank you. you know, hope and wish um, that you, you continue to be able to find that recovery in your own life. But I think what you also uh, help just remind people of is you don't have to wait until you have, you know, unfortunately made some of the choices that you made at, well, I shouldn't say choices, but had some of the consequences you had Absolutely. where you don't have to wait until your house is gone. You don't have to wait until you've lost the respect of, you know, your friends and loved ones. And I say this from my own personal experience, you can really get help before it's too late um, even though it's really never too late as long as you have the choice. But you, but you really can deal with it early yes. versus later. Absolutely. You can, you can start to work on this before you hit rock bottom because it seemed like every time I hit the bottom, somebody does a hole deeper and yeah. I fall further. And I really appreciate this show today. For some reason, it's not been a good day and I've needed this. I needed to share my story and talk to somebody. So had it on the right day, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy, and uh, we really do wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Um, and it okay. So let's move on to. We've got some more callers, and let's try to get as many calls as in as we can before we run here, Colleen. We've got Andrea. She's been waiting for like darn near twenty minutes. So let's let's open up the phone lines for Andrea. Hey, Andrea, what did you want to share with us? Good afternoon. Thanks for being so patient. Uh- well, so virtue is it not? We all learn a lot of things through our trials and tribulations in life. Exactly. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm listening to today's discussion, which, I mean, you know, heart goes out to everybody that's experienced it or been a victim of it or has been around it. A um, couple of things from my experiences is, you know, nobody in my family has ever really had an addictive personality except for me. Um, and I 
thrive off of any sort of um, stimuli, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, whether it be attention or romance, it's always like a hyper-romance or food. I overindulge, you know. It, there's always an overindulgence in those things that make you feel good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I struggled in so much addiction. I mean, we could, we could name them all, but they're all, you know, schedule one. Um, you know, the saving grace for me is, you know, I heard one of the callers and she said, you know, it's a disease. One thing to remember is that we are all made up of chemical components. So it's a chemical dependency is what happens. So when you introduce a chemical substance to your chemical compound of a body that changes yourself chemically mm-hmm. with it, you know, the mind or the physical makeup, the physiology of it, whatever it might be. Secondly, there's a mental aspect that goes into that. So, you know, it's a physical and a mental addiction that plays both together. And that is the hardest part is where, you know, you might be mentally ready to quit and to move on, but your body is doing such good work at giving you physical withdrawals and real reasons to keep going that you can't physically sustain. So your mind will give in to the body because it's obviously taking force. Well, yeah, and And in in many cases, the physical body is a lot stronger than your, you know, like you trying to outthink it. And that's why I think with this discussion around opiate addiction, I mean, there is a huge, huge uh, biochemical and and, uh, chemical uh, change that goes on in your body that you are just not capable of defending against. That's exactly right. You know, and I mean, my only saving grace that I had was, you know, I was, I was going through school and I was, I was one of the few lucky ones that, you know, for some reason could maintain, um, my addiction, you know, that I, I, I bring myself down to the, to the lowest point. I absolutely did. But for some reason, and, and I don't know if it was, you know, something that was ingrained in my brain early on, but, you know, education was something that was important to me, and I really wanted to excel at it. But again, going back to that overstimuli, I overindulge in learning, you know, so I wanted to learn about the psychology of what it is that I was getting into. I wanted to learn about the biology of what it is that I was getting myself into and how to overcome it. And I think once I was able to wrap my head and really understand it and um, kind of become an expert on the issue, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I literally was able to walk away from it. Yeah. Because at that point, I had understood it. And so that was no longer, for me, a reason to keep going anymore. Because at that point, I knew how to turn it on and turn it off. Sometimes, you know, when you walk into a room, it's dark and you don't know where the light switch is. But once you find it, you're able to walk into that room over and over again and be able to turn the light on. You know, you know so Andrea, I just want to say, cause we're wrapping things up for this hour. I just want to say thank you for calling and sharing that with us. And obviously best of luck on your own journey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, doing very well, family of three and you know, been in the industry that I've been in for 15 years and been a great success. And I, like I said, my heart goes out to those that uh, have struggled with this and you know, but they're, you know, I think that there's a lot of truth in self-discovery and um, and, and, and learning the root of where it comes from. And we thank you so much, Andrea. And thanks to everybody who called and shared their stories this hour here on My Talk 1071. We'll be right back on The Colleen and Bradley Show.